Welcome to the Hills, another week of church online. I'm greeting not just our Hills family here in Tarrant County, but all of you that are part of our online family all over the world. But I must begin especially with a word for all of you that are a part of the Hills family in Tarrant County who were attending worship at our campuses before the pandemic. Uh, you are aware that uh, the pandemic numbers have been very frightening in Tarrant County and Dallas County the last few weeks. In fact, just yesterday, Dallas had the highest number of COVID deaths and the highest number of hospitalizations. Uh, you are aware that the Fort Worth School District just announced that they will not begin in-person classes until September 28th at the earliest. So I don't think you're going to be surprised by what I'm about to share. Uh, we don't plan to gather on our campuses probably before October. Uh, we're going to follow the guidelines of our local officials. Uh, when our schools feel like it's safe to gather again, we will try to gather again on our campuses in live worship. Uh, I know you're disappointed. No one is more disappointed than I am. But remember at the very beginning, we said when the pandemic began and we stopped meeting in person, that your health and our witness to our neighbors are priorities for us. And that continues to be the case. Let's continue to pray that the pandemic will end quickly. Let's pray for those, especially in the medical community that are fighting this disease. And for those, including many in our own church, who've contracted the disease and have been very, very sick. And we look forward to the day when we can gather. Until then, I remind you, our church is not closed. And great things are happening. And I'm very thankful to the team I work with that continue to provide these online experiences. And I trust they are blessing you. So after that downer, maybe a little pandemic humor will help us. So someone sent me recently some of these observations and reflections on the pandemic. I thought we were rather clever. For example, I saw this one. Is it too early to put up the Christmas tree? I've run out of things to do. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that? I mean, it doesn't it feel like every single day it's the same old thing and I need something new. Or I like this one. Uh, maybe we're being grounded for all the things we didn't get caught doing as teenagers. <laughs> Because it does feel like we're shut down right now, doesn't it? Or how about this? I washed a big load of pajamas so I would have enough clean work clothes for the week. Uh, my wife said the other day that if she puts on a pair of pants with a zipper, she feels like she's dressing up, okay? Uh, how about this? <laughs> when this virus thing is over, I still want some of you to stay away from me, okay? That's funny and true at the same time, okay? Or I like this one. It's been great to be home with the wife these last few months. We've caught up on everything I've done wrong the last 20 years. Uh, and by the way, uh, after this series is over, I'm going to start a series on marriage because all this time together has helped us realize that relationships constantly need to be checked and worked on. And then finally, remember, Rapunzel was quarantined and met her future husband. Let's think positive here, okay? Let's try to look for the good. You see, this series that we're in is an explanation of, or an exploration of, Paul's thoughts when he was in quarantine. Paul lived a lot of his adult life in lockdown, literally. He couldn't go where he wanted to go. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. He couldn't see who he wanted to see. And he wrote these letters from prison, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon. And they answer the question, when life has come to a standstill, what's still true? Paul took his thoughts captive when he was in 
quarantine. We saw from Colossians that he focused on the truth that Jesus is still Lord. And in Ephesians last week, we saw that he focused on the reality that we are still blessed. But maybe most surprising of all in view of his difficult circumstances is the truth we're going to focus on today. And that is joy is still available. Now, again, I want to affirm that what Paul is going to teach us is specifically true for followers of Jesus. This is not just generic wisdom that anyone can embrace, but he's going to teach us things that are true because our lives are surrendered to Christ. Because he believes as a disciple of Christ, we can control our outlook, even when we cannot control the outcome. And so he says to the Philippians in chapter 4, this powerful phrase, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now he's writing this from prison, remember this. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now notice Paul's giving a command here. This is not a suggestion. This is an ought. This is not a maybe. Because he sees joy as a result of a choice, not the result of chance. And here's the big idea I want you to marinate on this week. That no matter what I'm going through, no matter what the outcome is, I still have response ability. Life is not going to let you drift in the direction of joy. Okay? Life is not going to let you flow unintentionally into a place of joy. But you and I are free to choose how we will respond to circumstances that we did not choose. We can fix what we fixate on because outlook is more critical to joy than outcome. Now, to illustrate that, I want you to look at this picture. This does not look like a group of happy women, does it? This is the United States Olympic hockey team who just won the silver medal. A pretty amazing feat. But why do they look so glum? A a woman named Vicki Medvick, a professor at Northwestern University, did a study of silver medalists in the Olympics. And she found on a consistent basis, they are less happy than bronze medal winners. Now, if you know your sports, a silver medal is a greater achievement. You had a greater performance. But silver medalists were less happy than bronze medalists. Why? Because of what they fixated on. The silver medalist is fixated on how close I was to getting the gold. The bronze medalist was thinking about how close I was to not getting a medal at all. And so what she found was the joy of Olympic athletes was not based on objective reality. It was based on subjective focus. Now, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always because you can always focus on the Lord. And Paul didn't just write this from prison. Paul lived this in prison. Let me remind you, he's writing to the church in Philippi about his first visit to that city. Now, he was on a mission trip. He was actually wanting on that trip to go to a different part of the world. He wanted to go to a part called then Asia, but the Spirit wouldn't let him go. He tried to go to a place called Bithynia, and the Spirit closed that door. 
And so he has a vision and a man says, come over here to Macedonia. So Paul is obedient to that vision. He comes into what was then uh, uh, Greece, the first time of Gospels come to Europe. And, and he sees a woman in that city who's filled with a demon. And Paul is burdened for her. He casts that demon out of her in the name of Jesus because demons have to answer to the name of Jesus. They still do. And the owners of that slave girl were angered because she was a means of making money for them. So Paul and his companion Silas get arrested. Okay, now let's start picking up at Acts 16. Now after they had been severely flogged, I'm going to stop right there. Do you know what this word flogged means? It means they were stripped, tied to a post, and, and chains were raked across their back, and their flesh was opened. That's what that word means. In fact, Luke says it wasn't just a flog. It was a severe flogging. After that, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he had received these orders... He put them in the inner cell, the deepest, darkest, stinkiest cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's stop right there. What does that mean? That doesn't mean they were just chained to a wall so they couldn't escape. No, if the Romans knew one thing, it was torture. What they would do was they would spread their feet apart so that it would in, uh, induce cramping in their legs. Now, get this picture. Paul is in this dark cell. His back is nothing but a bloody pulp. His legs are cramping. He's probably standing in a pile of his own feces and urine. That's what we're talking about. Next verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. So do you understand when Paul later would write to this church in Philippi and say, you rejoice in the Lord always. Do you understand what moral authority he had to say that? Because they remembered that story. Joy is still available. Paul didn't just preach it. Paul lived it. Now, why is that true? Why, even in a pandemic, can we be people of supernatural joy? Three reasons. Number one. God is still worthy of praise. Have you ever heard a song in a place that you did not expect it? Uh, my daughter's a nurse and she said recently she lifted, ended her shift and she was walking to the car and outside the hospital there was a local church singing that song, The Blessing, over all the medical people that walked out. She said she just began to cry. She wasn't expecting a song right there. I've heard hymns of praise uh, in prison. I've heard hymns of praise in ICU waiting rooms. I've heard hymns of praise around the bed of someone about to go and meet Jesus. Now again, why was Paul in Philippi? He was in Philippi out of obedience to God. He wanted to go do mission work somewhere else, but God said, you come over here, I've opened a door. And what happens? He gets thrown in a place like that. So when it says Paul is in prison and he and Silas are still awake at midnight, I expect him to be pouting. <laughs> Maybe I expect him to be praying. But praising? He say, well, that's because Paul's about to get out of prison. He didn't know that. He hadn't read the rest of the chapter. Okay, Paul is 
praising, not because he knows the outcome. He's praising because he has an outlook. Listen, worship doesn't need the right place. Now, I hate right now that we're not in our buildings. I hate that we're not all together. But worship doesn't need a place. Worship needs the right perspective. And praise shouldn't be seen as rooted in our circumstances. Well, this is happening and this is happening. It makes me feel good. Let's praise God. Praise rooted in circumstances will always be fleeting. Praise should be rooted and grounded in God's character. That's why we can rejoice always because God's character never changes. What about this pandemic has changed the character of God? Has it lessened His sovereignty? Has it dampened His mercy? Has it, uh, it decreased His faithfulness? So if God is good all the time, then there's never a time when it's not good to praise God. Uh, last week we sang this great song, Magnify the Lord. What does that word magnify mean? Look at this. There, there's two ways you can magnify something. You can do it with a microscope or with a telescope. You've probably looked through both. What does a microscope do? Microscope takes something that's very, very small and magnifies it. It makes something small look bigger than it really is. What does a telescope do? A telescope takes something that's big and helps us realize how big it really is. When we magnify the Lord, we're telescoping. Okay, when we magnify the Lord, what we're doing is we're declaring how big God truly is. And we can do that even when we're confined in small places. So you could lock Paul up, but you couldn't keep him from looking up and you couldn't keep him from lifting up Praise to God. He would agree with the psalmist in chapter 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Because God's character has not changed one bit. In hard times, it is easy to focus on what is around us. But praise helps us focus on who is above us. Instead of looking at what around us is wrong, we look at who above us is so right. God is still worthy of praise. And that's why there are still reasons to be thankful. Amen. Now, you understand, even if there wasn't a pandemic, we struggle with thankfulness because we live in a culture whose entire economy is built on the premise, we need to make you feel discontent. We live in a culture designed to produce discontent because it says that joy can be driven or it can be worn or it can be remodeled or deposited or, if nothing else, just consumed in a bottle. And that kind of joy will always be shallow and always be temporary because it is built on something that can be taken, something that can be lost, something that depreciates, something that will not last. Now, Paul, on the other hand, would say to the Philippians... Now, I'm, I'm content. I know how to be content. If I have a lot, I know how to be content if I have nothing. Because his joy is rooted in blessings he could not lose. Amen. And that's why the man could stand there with his back bleeding and his legs cramping and he could praise God. And I don't think he's singing 
Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus, okay? I think he's singing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I think he's singing, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. I think he's singing, I will raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And just after he told that church to rejoice always, he said this. Now, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, that phrase is important. Paul isn't saying life is always easy. Paul isn't saying that we don't have real situations where we need to beseech God and petition God and request God. What he's saying is you also, in any situation, have reasons to thank God. And I wonder if this lockdown has stolen your thanksgiving. Or are you still a thankful person? I read an interesting article by a psychologist who teaches at Harvard named Sean Acor, and he did this amazing test. He took these people and put them in these control groups, and here's what he did with one group. He said, at a certain time every day for one week, you're going to take five minutes, and you're going to write down three reasons why you are thankful. And he said, not generic, but I want you to be specific. I am thankful that I ate a great bowl of spaghetti last night. I am thankful that my daughter gave me a hug. I am thankful that my boss gave me a compliment today. Now, they did it for one week, and then they studied the people that did that and the people that did not. And here's what they found. One week later, three months later, six months later, the group that did that, even if they stopped after one week, were consistently happier. And they concluded that that exercise had trained their minds to start looking for the good around them that they had been missing. Now, don't you love it when secular research simply affirms what God's Word has been teaching for millennia? Let me give you a real example of this from the Bible. Now, you're familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And we love the story, and, and Daniel got out of the lion's den. I love the story because he got in. Here's what I mean. So the king had made this rule. Nobody can pray to anyone but me for a month. And, and some people had passed that legislation to try to take Daniel out, Okay. So Daniel knows there's a death threat on him. How does he respond when he hears that rule? Look at this verse. This is an amazing verse. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Now, watch this. Next. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Do you wonder why Daniel could stay so calm in the midst of a death threat? Why he could go into that lion's den with a faith that was stilled and courageous. You see, decades of this discipline had shaped a faith that could not be shaken when life got hard. And so, what can we thank God for right now? We can thank God that most of us are well. We can thank God that the people in our church to date that have gotten the virus have recovered. We can thank God for the courageous men and women that are in our hospitals helping people fight this disease. We can thank God for our heroic 
teachers and administrators, they've gone way past the second mile. They've gone the third to the fifth mile to try to figure out how they can bless our children in a very difficult circumstance. So most mornings, I wake up before I need to get up. And uh, I've developed this discipline. I just lay in bed for a few moments and I start my day thanking God. I thank God for big things like my health or my marriage. I thank God for little things like how good my sheets feel or that there's cold chocolate milk in the refrigerator. And let me tell you something. If you can't thank God for cold chocolate milk, you need Jesus more than you know you do. And there's just something about beginning my day, framing my mind to look for what is good that gets my day started in a better way. The Bible says, be thankful in all circumstances. We can be thankful in it, even when we're not thankful for it. Joy is still available because God is still with us. God is still for us. And you know what? God can still use us. And that's the final reason why we can be people of joy, even in the season we're in right now. That's because witness is still possible in this moment. Now, you've heard of singing in the rain. Paul and Silas were singing in the pain. And when you sing in the pain, people are going to notice. It says all the other prisoners were listening to them. Of course they were. And no doubt they wondered how their spirits could be so free. It must have been quite a concert. In fact, it literally brought the house down. I mean, seriously. And so if you kept reading in Acts 16, you'd find that there was an earthquake. And the, the doors to the prison came open and the chains came off. And the Roman jailer watching that cell figure, the prisoners had escaped. He was about to kill himself. And Paul stopped him. Don't, don't do that. We're all still here. And, and the Bible says that jailer ran up to Paul and asked the most important question you could ask. What must I do to be saved? And Paul gave the most important answer you could ever hear. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus. Amen. And the jailer took him home. And Paul shared the gospel with him, and it says immediately he and his household were baptized. Now, I'm talking to someone right now, and God brought you this moment to hear that, okay? That you need to believe in Jesus, and you need to publicly declare that belief by getting baptized as quickly as you can. If you live in Tarrant County, if you'll contact us here at the Hills, go to our website, get on the chat room right now and just say, I need to talk to somebody about Jesus. I need to get baptized. Just email me. We'll take care of that. If you don't live in Tarrant County, you contact us. We will find a church close to you. But some of you right now, that's your next step to publicly declare your faith in Jesus and get baptized just like that jailer did. But here's what I want you to notice. So he did this. He declares his faith in Jesus. He gets baptized. Look how Dr. Luke describes it. He was filled with joy. Because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. I want to tell you something. Paul was filled with joy too. There are few things that are going to bring you more joy than helping someone else experience the joy of salvation. Here's the reality. Most people struggle to have joy, not because their problems are too big, but because their life purpose is too small. And something like a pandemic can steal small life purposes like that. Joyful people don't focus on what's happening to them, but on what could happen through them because they are living on mission with God. 
I've told you before about Richard Wormbrand. He was many years an evangelist and pastor in Romania when it was under communist rule. Now, this is a happier picture of he and his wife after the wall fell and the communists were overthrown. Let me show you the other picture. This is Richard's picture taken in prison. He spent many years in prison because of his faith in Jesus. And, and when I say prison, I mean like Paul was in prison. In fact, his, his autobiography was titled, Tortured for Christ. Because he was many times. But there's this page that still just, <laughs> it just gets to me every time I read it. Where he writes, It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. Now that is an outlook that enabled him to rejoice always. And I just wonder, when God said to Paul in that vision, come over here, there's a door open for you. Was God's heart for that jailer all along? Was that jailer and his family God's intended outcome? See, here's the thing about God's mission. God's mission is just like God's character. It never changes. Pandemic or no. In season, out of season. God's mission to make and grow followers of Jesus never changes. So no matter what season we're in, we can live on mission. And when we do, we don't just have joy. We spread joy. Amen. Some of our teenagers at our church learned that just recently. So one of our student ministers, Alexander McCauley, took some of our kids on Serve Tuesday to one of our Renew Partners, Pregnancy Help for You. Now, they, they socially distance, but this is a ministry that helps young women who are literally trying to decide whether or not they want to keep the child in their womb. And, and so they went out there to put blessings in chalk on the parking lot that those women see. Imagine driving up and seeing something like this, all women are queens. Or imagine you're wrestling with what to do with this baby in your womb, and you see something like, God loves you. And the nurses that work here started to come in. And one of them goes to our church, Jamie Ridgell. And she was so blessed to see what uh, they were doing. And so Alexandra said, you know what? This is spiritual warfare. Let's pray over this place. And so the team started to pray over the buildings and over the nurses. And Jamie said, the nurses inside looked outside. And they saw these teenagers praying over them. And they just, they just began to weep. The teens had joy. But they spread joy because that's what happens when you live on mission with God. You see, joy is still available even in the most unexpected places. And what's cool is even in our church, we have Pauls among us who are still singing in their particular prisons. And I want you to hear the testimony of one of these people right now. I want you to meet an amazing sister, Judy Johnson. So Judy, early in life, when you were born, your, your vision uh, was completely healthy. 
and yet you sit here today and it's just a different story than that. And so could you just tell us a little bit about your journey, particularly with the health of your eyes? Back in 2002, um, my eyesight began to decrease due to diabetes. I would, I would hope for um, restoration. I never gave up on that because I just thought, this is not gonna happen to me. Finally, nine and a half years ago, I had to stop teaching. And at that point, I could barely see much of anything. In the midst of this, how do you, how do you still choose joy? Some days are worse than others. Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, this is a hard life, but um, I turn on my K-Light and I start the morning with music and uh, I start singing to God, with God, about God and Jesus and what they have done for me and joy comes out. It just abounds. And I love to sing. Of course, I think I'm a good singer, but I'm probably not. <laughs> But I sing really loud in my house with CJ. It probably drives him crazy. Even though you've lost your sight, you still know God as a generous dad. And so any particular gift that he's given you that has really brought a tremendous amount of joy to your life? My CJ, my dog. Um, CJ is such a blessing. I got CJ after I had gone to Michigan and failed to get a dog. Leader Dog gave me a dog that wasn't ready to work. It was God's will that that happened. I know it was because of the way it worked out. Um, my precious CJ that I got was because I didn't get a dog the first time. He's my joy. He's about my joy most of all. Besides what God has done for me, CJ is my joy. When I can't find him, I'll say, CJ, where are you? Come here, I want CJ, I can't find you, come here. He'll come up and he'll put his nose right on my hand like this. And so this is our high five, his nose on my hand. And when he does that, it's like, all right, everything's okay, he's, he's right here. So anyway, I love my CJ and I know he's from God. A lot of people, uh, when life is hard, they choose not to look at it. And they just kind of want to bury their head, if you will, uh, and yet, being honest about what's going on, do you think that that's, has what, that's helped you have more joy in your life? Uh, I decided a few years back that this was the way it was gonna be. And I could either sit in here and dwell on that and cry all the time and be upset, or I could stare the devil in the face and tell him, okay, you gonna make me this way? Then let's get with it, you know? I'm gonna beat this thing. I'm gonna do my best to have God on my side, which I know he's there, to allow me to go through every day and tough this thing out. And I will win because of God. I will win this battle, so. Amen. Amen. So when I hear Judy's testimony, I think of the next words of Paul to the church in Philippi. He says, if, if you'll rejoice in the Lord, if you'll give your thanks to God, here's what's going to happen. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Something supernatural will happen. He didn't just say peace from God. He said the peace of God, God's own peace, 
will be downloaded into your spirit when you rejoice in the Lord and you give Him your thanksgiving. And isn't that what the jailer in Philippi experienced? In fact, isn't it ironic? God used a prisoner to bring that man and his family to freedom. Because here's the thing. Joy still brings freedom. I don't want you to be seduced by the lie of the culture that says, whenever I get life the way I want it, I'll find joy. I've got to get free and then I'll have joy. No, what the scripture says is that we've got to receive God's joy and we'll be free no matter where we are. You find the joy of the Lord and you will finally be free. Even here, even now, joy is still available. Even for you. And so, Father, my prayer in the powerful name of Jesus is that we will walk in your joy. That your joy will be our strength. That our joy will be infectious. And even in, especially in a hard season, our witness will cause, compel our neighbors to come to us and say, what must I do to be saved? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.